This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 69, and we are recording on February 22nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. What, what? Welcome. It's it's rainy Tuesday in February. Surprise! Yeah. (laughs) Except it's not Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Oh my god, I don't even know what day it is. Yeah, that's right. It is Wednesday. We usually record on Tuesdays. We do, we do. Um, so, (laughs) um... With that fascinating banter, let's talk about how the show works. Um, So like I said, this is a show for personalized uh, reading recommendations. So if you have a a recommendation request, you need a book for your book club or something for yourself to read next or whatever, a gift for someone, you can send them to us uh, via email at getbooked@bookriot.com. Or you can also drop your question in the uh, the form, which is at the bottom of the show notes on the site of every episode. Uh, If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject heading of the uh, email or in like the very first line of the question if you're using the form so that we can, you know, see it when we're putting together the next episode. We will uh, be emailing a few people back uh, with responses. If you're asking a question that we've already answered on the show, you know, this is our 69th episode, so we it's entirely possible that we've uh, answered a question already. We will email you that link to the show that where your question is answered or new recommendations, if that applies. Or if your question is time sensitive and we aren't going to get to it, we will uh, respond via email. Okay, so that is how the show works. We're going to do our first question our first sponsor, and then onward. Indeed. Go. <laughs> and that right. is all Jen. <laughs> we, uh, interestingly enough, our first question is also from a Jennifer. Hello, mm. fellow Jennifer. Uh, okay, so the question is, I'll be moving to Vancouver, Canada soon, and would like to read some books set there to get a feel for the city. I prefer fiction, particularly historical fiction, multi-generational sagas, mystery slash thrillers, and sci-fi fantasy. Do you have any recommendations for books set in Vancouver? Yes, I do. Um, but first, we are going to do our first sponsor, which is Rough and Tumble uh, by Renna Morgan, sponsored by Karina Press. So this, if you don't know Karina Press, they do a great job publishing romance across all the genres, actually. And they have, like, a lot of digital only and very good prices, and you should probably check them out. Um, but this one, Rough and Tumble, is the first in a new series called The Haven Brotherhood. So if you love series, I mean, Sarah McLean has done this really well. J.R. Ward does this really well about a bunch of guys, and then, you know, you kind of get them all paired off one after the other in the books. Um, this is one that you're going to want to have on your radar. It is a contemporary. It's a the hero is named Jace Kennedy who is a self-made man who's got lots of different, you know, a variety of different successful businesses that he's involved with. Um, And he lives for challenge, and he always gets what he wants, because that's the kind of alpha hero we have here. And (laughs) our heroine, Vivian Moore, uh, grew up rough and is trying to, like, live, like, the polished socialite dream, except that she's got a wild sister who, like, can't 
hold her liquor. So on uh, New Year's, she finds herself dragging her sister out of a club, runs into the club owner, who is, of course, our hero, and the story unfolds from there. Uh, so he kind of has to convince her that, like, being wild and rough is not going to destroy her life, um, which she does not believe. Uh, <laughs> so you can imagine um, how that's going to go. Uh, if you do like gritty contemporaries, um, and also alpha heroes who aren't, like, super over-the-top possessive, because that's not this hero, uh, this is definitely one you want to pick up. If you love a good bromance, like Brothers, by choice and by, you know, family, uh, this has also got that. Uh, so yeah, get ready to fall for a bad boy with a good heart, and that is Rough and Tumble by Renna Morgan. Okay, so the question was... Vancouver books set in Vancouver, preferably different kinds of fiction. Uh, Amanda, why don't you go first? Okay, I no <laughs> just had no no idea. I this is apparently a very large gap in my reading life, um, Canadian literature, and so Jen asked Brenna, who is our resident Canadian lit. Well, she's a professor, so you know she knows of what she speaks, and she gave us a bunch of recommendations, and I and both of mine are from Brenna, so going forward with that. Um, so the first one that Brenna recommends is Rabbit Ears, which is by Maggie DeVries. And this sounds so fascinating because it's based on a true story. So the the author, Maggie's sister, Sarah, was the victim of a serial killer named Robert Picton in Vancouver. And she is the inspiration for this book. This is a YA novel uh, rooted in the story of, the, of that death. So the main character in the book, her name is Kaya. She's adopted. She's a multiracial kid. Her dad has just died. She's got secrets of her own um, and a lot of personal problems. And so she, she keeps running away from her, from her adopted family. And eventually she disappears entirely into this like rabbit hole of, um, you know, a life of addiction and sex work. Um, and then meanwhile, her sister in the book, whose name is Beth, has her own, you know, troubles that she's dealing with, which are mostly food-related, and both girls are struggling through their own, you know, pain, um, and then they find their way to a hopeful or healing sort of ending. And so um, Sarah's, the sister who was killed by the serial killer, experiences as a sex worker on the street and what happened to her as a victim um, of that serial killer are what inspired this book. And it just sounds so fascinating. Oh, the missing women, basically. Vancouver's, you know, population of women whose stories we never hear, who go missing and then are never heard from again, um, and who aren't really ever the focus of public of the public, um, is what forms kind of the backdrop of this book. So that's Rabbit Ears by Maggie DeVries. All right. I was going to do this pick second because it's not fiction, but it's like the perfect segue from <laughs> this first recommendation. Um, I also got my recs from Brenna, but I read them. I did read them um, or am reading them. And one of them is called How Poetry Saved My Life, A Hustler's Memoir by Amber Dawn. So surprise, we have a theme. Who knew? Um, and <laughs> this is a memoir. It's a really incredibly powerful memoir. I am just like blown away by it. Uh, and Amber Dawn is, um, she like, is a sex worker, working on the streets, um, and she is kind of documented, and went through a lot of, you know, personal turmoil, um, both related and unrelated to this, um, and also is a lesbian, and so there's all of these different threads to her life, and she's going through and talking about really how she never would have survived her youth if it hadn't been for finding a poetry workshop one day, and, like, finding her voice as a writer, um, and it's just a really well-written, beautifully poignant book. Like, it, it's a great memoir, but also she's interspersing it with her poetry, and then you're seeing these scenes of, like, her life um, at different points in her career as a sex worker, because there's all the different kinds of sex work, um, and 
I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's really compelling and I think it's a really good book. And, you know, again, like the side of cities that you don't always see, like Vancouver is beautiful and has great restaurants and, you know, lots of nice things, but like no place is perfect. And sometimes it's good to know about those other things. All times it's good to know about those other things. Uh, so this, uh, again, this is How Poetry Saved My Life, A Hustler's Memoir by Amber Dawn. Okay, my second pick, or Brenna's, rather, second pick for you is The Gum Thief by Douglas Copeland, who's a super well-known Vancouver Canadian author. And this sounds so fascinating to me. It's blurbed as clerks meets who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Nice. (laughs) I know, but it sounds to me way more like The Office meets who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, yes. um, Which I will also accept Mm -hmm, as -hmm. as an interesting thing. So the two main characters are Roger, who is like a middle-aged ne'er-do-well who's through a series of like family situations and horrible personal decisions has ended up working as a salesperson at staples and you know really feels like the rest of his life is going to be spent stocking 20 pound reams of paper until he dies and he's surrounded by you know teenagers and other disaffected workers in the retail sphere one of them her name is bethany is in her mid-20s and she's on the edge of end of like her goth phase um, and she's kind of shrill and annoying. The two really don't get along. And then Bethany discovers one day Roger's notebook that he's left in the staff room where he's been writing satirical diary entries as her, like, for himself, to entertain himself. And the problem is he's, like, really in her head. Like, everything that he's writing about her is kind of nailing her her weirdness and her personal problems and her thoughts and all that. And so she writes back to him in the notebook, and they strike up this very... Um, you know, uh, like insightful and odd kind of epistolatory relationship with each other in the aisles of Staples. Um, and the book is all about the kind of soul-sucking nature of working in retail, what happens after you find yourself in a place in life that you don't want to be or that you are, quote-unquote, too old for, that kind of thing, um, all against this backdrop of selling paper in Staples, which just the office, and I want it. So that's The Gum Thief by Douglas Copeland. Nice. Uh, Okay, my second pick for you, I think you are particularly going to like because you said you liked sci-fi fantasy. This is a short story collection called Better Living Through Plastic Explosives by Susie Gardner. I'm assuming that's how she says her first name. It's spelled differently. Um, But anyway, these are amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, They put me in the mind of like Kelly Link or... um, Oh, there's so many great short story writers out there right now who are doing, like, that magical realism thing. Uh, Karen Russell is the other one I was trying to think of. And um, these are just fantastic, but they all, they do take place in Vancouver, and um, they have, like, a lot of different sort of twists to them. So one of them is about a woman who is, like, acceleratedly aging as her male partner is acceleratedly like growing younger. Um, there's another one where it's a, it's a, like a very well to do community. And then like, you know, guy with like a truck on his lawn and like a barbecue in the backyard. And he wears like tank tops and, you know, old sweatpants moves in and you know, the ensuing craziness that happens. Um, there's a lot of social commentary here. She's very sharp. Um, like some of them, I was like, Oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with where this is going. Um, but she's, she does it so well and they're so like satirical and funny. I think it's definitely worth reading. Um, she's just really good at what she's doing here. So that is better living through plastic explosives by Susie Gardner. 
Okay, question two is from Matthew, who says, I've written before, let's see, I'm getting married in June, uh, and my fiancé, whoa, and my fiancé and I both want to read a separate book about how loving each other is a daily chore and share a short passage from our books during the vows. So I wanted to know if you had any recommendations. I'm pretty open, just nothing too classical or melodramatic. Okay, so both of my picks are not entirely about marriage, like the whole entirety of the book is not focused on marriage, but they both have sections that are about the the kind of day-to-dayness of being married that um actually I think I've I've been to weddings where both of them were used as readings so this is a they're they're popular in that respect. So the first one is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran which is a collection I mean this is a classic um and it's a collection of kind of poetic essays about everything love life family philosophy like the whole nine yards. But the thing that I'm focusing on with this one is there's a a poem Po- poem essay, a, a pesse, I don't know, whatever, uh, called On Marriage. <laughs> I know, I just, that's the ri- most ridiculous thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> I'm so good. sorry. It's been a week, y'all. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's called On Marriage, and it's from the prophet, and um, it's short. It would make a really short reading, but it's very sweet in like a, a, a dry kind of way, because, you know, you go to a lot of weddings and the readings are like, love and flowers and heart-shaped whatevers, but this one is like, okay, so for example, one of the lines is fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. So like the idea that you're investing your entire well-being and life and soul and everything in one person is maybe a little foolish, like live your life separately, but together in your day-to-day is basically what the poem is about. So the poem itself is called On Marriage, but it's from The Prophet, which is by Kilo Gabron, which okay. is an essay. I don't know. What it's not, let's never use that word again. Let's I know. Agree. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, all right. I think it's been long enough since one of us recommended it that I can bring it back. So my first pick for you is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strait, which is an essay collection um, about a bunch of different life situations and things. But there, when I read this question, I immediately thought of this one piece that was originally on the Rumpus as part of her Dear Sugar column, which a lot of these are. Um, called Like an Iron Bell. And it's all about like choosing to use the word love and choosing to use it not necessarily in like, you know, the crazy like heated or romantic situations, but like as a matter of life and choice, like choosing to use the word love. Um, And it's really powerful and compelling. And there's this great metaphor she uses that I like, I feel like I don't want to spoil it, which is ridiculous because this is like on the internet, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Uh, anyway, it, the actual piece of that essay is in is on the internet um, outside of the collection, and so I'm going to put it in the notes. But I really think that you will find a lot to love in this collection in general. Um, her advice is so solid and so like emotionally savvy. And uh, there's pieces in there about all different kinds of life situations. Like some are about divorce, and some are about family situations, and there's all kinds of things. But there's a lot of good stuff in there about like being honest about your emotions, and I think that's super useful in marriage. So that is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. All right. So my second one is Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, which is a collection of, well, as the title would suggest, Letters to a Young Poet. The poet wrote Rilke um, asking him all sorts of questions about writing poetry and creativity and living a creative life. And um, he answered them. So I don't, it's been a while since I read it, and I don't think the poet's letters to him are preserved, but all of his answers are. I don't recall. But anyway, there's one section called uh, On Marriage. Well, I don't think it's actually called anything because it's like a 
excerpt of one of his letters. But the, the first line is, the point of marriage is not to create a quick commonality by tearing down all boundaries. And then the rest of it is about how um, a good marriage is made up of what he calls uh, appointing the other person to be the guardian of your solitude, which I think is really lovely. And so the day-to-dayness of what that looks like. So um, the entirety of the book is about living your creative life in general, which includes how you interact with other people. Um, so that's Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. I never know how to say that. Right? I, I thought Rilke? it was Rilke, but I could Rilke. be very wrong. I, be- I believe. could be very wrong. Um, okay. <laughs> My second pick for you is I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck, which I confess that I haven't read, but I feel as though I've read it because Rebecca and Josh, who I used to do the Book Rages podcast with, would like talk about it nonstop. <laughs> um, I apparently prefer my marriage books like Darker and Weirder, but this is one of those books that's about the full course of a marriage. Um, the plot is there is a woman whose husband has died, they're elderly, um, and he has unexpectedly died, and she is sitting next to him on the bed, um, waiting for the ambulance to arrive to take him away. Um, but he's, like, definitely dead. So she's just sitting there thinking back to their whole, like, from when they first met to then, like, their actual marriage. Um, and she was an artist, and he's a mathematician, so, like, they have a very different, they had very different worlds before they got together, And, like, their marriage wasn't perfect, and you can see those imperfections in her reflections, but they did choose over and over and over again to stay together, Um, and so I think that this would be, there's got to be passages in here that would work for what you're looking for. I can't imagine that there's not, um, considering how, how many people have raved about it as, like, the, you know, slice of life marriage book. So that's I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. Okay. Oh, it's my turn again. Um, So our third question is from Aoife, who says, One of my all-time favorite books is Anna Funder's Stasiland, and I recently read and enjoyed Sarah Moss's Names for the Sea, Strangers in Iceland. I'm looking for more books that fit into that kind of place-based narrative nonfiction. Bonus points for history and female or queer authors. All right. Uh, So I'm just going to keep talking. So my first pick for you is one I started reading recently that I just am unexpectedly in love with, which is The Greenlanders by Jane Smiley. Jane Smiley is like a Pulitzer Prize winning author who I canceled for years at bookstores without ever having read. You know, she's one of those authors that like don't need a lot of help to sell, so you don't end up reading it. But this book, so it's set in the 14th century in Greenland, and it's got this really sort of quiet, almost um, folkloric tone to it. Like, it's a very straightforward, like, and then she milked the cow, and then she went (laughs) into the house, and then the neighbor killed the witch, and then, you know, like, it's really, it's really sort of spare prose, but it's so fascinating, Um, and she's just following the lives of these, you know, landowners uh, in Greenland, who live in the 14th century. So, like, people go on, you know, whale hunting trips and come back, and sometimes the sheep die, and sometimes, you know, somebody breaks some crockery. Like, nothing major happens, but it's so compelling, and so, like, you feel like you're really there watching all of these things happen. You feel like you know these people. Uh, so that is The Greenlanders by Jane Smiley. All right, my first one is uh, Reading Lolita in Tehran by Azar Nafisi. And I love this book so much. I love everything that she writes. So this is a memoir about her um, experience living in Iran during the uh, revolution. No, during the Islamic Republic. And her um, class was studying English literature. And then, you know, Islamic morality squads started staging raids and like religious fundamentalists. He's told of the university, there was a bunch of uh, censorship happening. And so she had to move 
the girls, female students from her class, to her living room, basically, to help them read forbidden, what was at that point forbidden classics of the Western canon. So they read Lolita, obviously. They read some Jane Austen, some F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, some Henry James. Uh, and I do think there was one male student um, who was included in the, in the not book club, but like erstwhile classroom setting in her living room. Um, and so the book is a combination of memoir about living through that time, that historical period in Iran. And then it's also a lot of um, literary criticism. So interesting thoughts and comments that her students had about Lolita, the book, about Nabokov, the author, about F. Scott Fitzgerald, especially about The Great Gatsby, which was really fascinating. Like their thoughts about the uh, excess, the way that American life in that book is portrayed as this like excessive, um, you know, wealthy party, which it kind of was at the time, is really interesting. Uh, And so if you you asked for history, and I think this is, I mean, it's recent history, but it's still so interesting. And she is still, you know, alive and with us and writing. She's on Twitter. She is very interactive on Twitter. So, like, if you read this book and you have questions, she will probably answer them if you want to talk to her about it. So that's Reading Lolita in Tehran by Azar Nafizi. I only just realized, despite having read the question several times and then just read it out loud, that you specified nonfiction. And I just, like, <laughs> totally, I was like, place-based narratives. Yes, I have those. Um, except that both of mine are fiction. Sorry, sorry. I don't know. They're still really good. You should read them anyway. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, my second pick that you did not actually ask for is Night at the Fiestas by Kirsten Valdez Quaid, which I love this collection. It's short stories. Um, they're all very realistic, so that's almost like nonfiction, right? Like, these things could really have happened. Um, and she is writing about the American West. I think it's mostly New Mexico, um, but it's like yeah, or Santa Fe. There's a bunch of different, like, but it's, it's the, you know, it's the desert West. Um, and having lived there for a while, I can vouch that she really evokes what it's like to be like out in the middle of nowhere, like in the mountains where there's no greenery and there's cacti and the wind is terrible. And you're just like, why am I here? Um, there's one short story in particular that I'm thinking of about a woman who's following her like archeologist, I think it's her husband or could just be partner around. Um, and so she's living like in a trailer, like while he's out digging or researching or whatever. And she's just like, this is not how I planned things. Um, but yeah. And then there's another one, um, about uh, a, a guy who's the father of a pregnant teenager and is trying to get back into her life, and he decides that the way he's going to do this is by playing the role of Jesus in, like, a passion play in his neighborhood, which is really intense. Um, there's a young man who d- whose grandmother is recently deceased, and he goes home to, like, take care of the house, and he finds out his dad is, like, squatting in the house, and they haven't talked to him forever. Um, there's just... It's just people. Like, it's people doing people things um, in, in the Southwest, in the America West, and it's it's just really beautifully done. She's got, like, a real feel for portraying those difficult emotions uh, that, you know, we try to, like, just kind of, not paper over, but, like, you know, to have a functioning relationship with a lot of people, you just have to kind of keep moving, but she likes, she's investigating those feelings, and I think it's really good. So that's Night at the Fiestas by Kirsten Valdez. Okay, my second one is Negro Land by Margot Jefferson, which I really like for a, a place-based uh, narrative nonfiction question because it is both about an actual place, uh, Chicago during the 50s up until now, but is also about a place that is not real, like a metaphorical place called, which what the author calls Negro Land, which 
she grew up in Chicago uh, in an upper crust black family. Her father was the head of, a head of uh, the pediatrics department at the oldest black hospital in the country. And her mother was uh, basically a socialite. And she spent, Margot, the author, spent most of her life among this aristocracy of black America. So that, like, rarefied air and that, um, those, those clubs that she was a part of uh, and the people that she associated with, that wasn't just a thing in Chicago, but was a, a class place across the country, is what she calls Negroland. So it's a really interesting memoir about growing up both in Chicago and also in this upper crust black society. Um, and it's a meditation on, on race and uh, sex, American culture, all through this idea of growing up among people who were both trying to separate themselves from whites and also separate themselves from what they considered to be like lower class black people, but always constantly comparing themselves to, to both people to try and get as far away from one and the other um, as they possibly could to create their own kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps social structure. It's really, really fascinating. Um, and her like love for Chicago is super real. You can really feel that in the book. And I do recommend this one on audio. The narrator is great. Um, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. So that's Negroland, a memoir by Margot Jefferson. Oh, is it me? Is it my turn? It is. Okay. Scrolling, scrolling. Okay, question four is from Martina, who says, uh, let's see, I was wondering if you could recommend books about the Vietnam and Korean Wars. My dad was in the army during that time, and I'm interested in learning more. I've read Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried and loved it. The books can be fiction or nonfiction, though I will confess I find memoirs dull, but I'm open to suggestions. Um, okay, so I will just keep going. I have a, a work of fiction and a work of nonfiction for you, one for Korea and one for Vietnam. So my uh, Korean War pick is Home by Toni Morrison. Um, and this is such a, it's a little, like maybe even a novella. It's 150 pages about, and it's about a man named Frank Money who has gotten home from the Korean War and is in a mental hospital. He's got PTSD um, along with some physical injuries from being in Korea and is just understandably appalled at finding himself back in a segregated, super racist America after having spent time in the desegregated um, armed forces in a country where that sort of thing was not a concern. Um, also, he spent all of his time fighting in a war, so he didn't have brain space for thinking about you know racial issues and that kind of thing. Um, so he's home, and he gets a um, message that his sister, who is at home in his hometown in Georgia, is sick and dying, and so he has to go basically rescue her. And so he escapes and goes on this, what is a really, really short American version of kind of the Odyssey uh, back home to find his sister and, and help get her out of whatever predicament that she's found herself in. Um, and so it's, he's, he's just a very like defeated character. He comes back from Korea with so many issues um, that he picked up in the war. And then he comes home to issues that he had you know, been running away from, really trying to get away from uh, his whole adult life. And it, and it's about him reclaiming home as a place, both in Georgia, but also like America, the concept of, of calling America home when you have spent so many years all being physically injured and fighting for your country and then to come back and have people still treat you like that. Um, so that's Home by Toni Morrison. I also have one fiction and one nonfiction. And by accident, I swear it's accident, we mirror <laughs> each other. So I have <laughs> I have a nonfiction about Korea and then a fiction about Vietnam. So I'll do my nonfiction about Korea now. It is The Coldest Winter by David Halberstam, which I read ooh, back when I was a baby bookseller. Um, and I really, I did not know anything about the Korean War. Like, I vaguely knew that it happened, but that was it. And um, it is one of the most forgotten 
wars, uh, like doesn't really get talked about or written about. So there's not so many books about it. Um, and, uh, what I remember most about this book actually is that we then had an event with Korean war veterans around this book as like a discussion. And it was really intense, um, really kind of amazing. But anyway, so Halberstam is a nonfiction writer. He's written a ton of books about a bunch of different things, um, sports, whatever. Um, but here he's really looking at the political situation. Uh, he documents, you know, there's battles and there's, you know, different figures and everything, but he's really looking at like the big players. So this is not one of those like, oh, the slice of the small man, you know, involved in the bigger things. This is one of those like, here are the, the you know, here's Truman and MacArthur and Mao and uh, the generals and all of that stuff. Um, so it's the big picture stuff. Uh, but he gets really into it. <laughs> he, it's like very intense, like he's covering everything. Uh, and, um, I found it super informative and, and very compelling. And I don't read a lot of, I don't read a lot of, a ton of nonfiction. And I particularly don't read a lot of this kind of military history nonfiction. Uh, and I found it very readable. So I think, I think you would be okay. Um, so that is The Coldest Winter by David Halberstam. All right, my next uh, book is a uh, work of nonfiction about Vietnam. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. It's by Harold G. Moore and Joseph Galloway. So this is, um, I guess it's kind of maybe a little bit memoir-ish also. Um, it's about the two battalions that were dropped in 1965 um, in Iadrang. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But it was the, the first time that the American military had gone up against the North, Vietnam, the North Vietnamese uh, military during the Vietnam conflict. And so um, Harold Moore was a lieutenant during, this, during the battle, and Joseph Galloway was the only journalist who was on the ground um, with the military during the battle. And so the, um, the army was using helicopters as kind of like a mechanized cavalry to drop soldiers into these two points. Um, and in the first landing zone, the soldiers were immediately surrounded and outnumbered four to one. And then in the second one, they were ambushed, um, and, and completely like obliterated. And so this is the two men who were there, like their both a military history of the days leading up to the battle, how we got involved and all of that. And, um, exactly like, you know, how military histories are very like troop movements. And here's how we used this form of technology. And here are the weapons that we were using. But since they were there and they knew these men, uh, it, it's, it's a really like emotional look at, um, I mean, essentially what, what a man's life is like in the final hours before he dies, when he knows that, there's there's really no hope that he's going to get out of this situation, um, but he believes in what he's doing. Like it's it's crying. Like there were there will probably be crying. I <laughs> cry. like, just like there it is. Like you're just going to cry, especially now when you know you know looking back and you know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Vietnamese War, but like you know how that ends up. You know how the war ends, but you also know how the how that battle ends, which is not well. So um, that's We Were Soldiers Once and Young by Harold G. Moore and Joseph Galloway. All right, my Vietnam pick is Matterhorn by Carl Marlantes, which I just, it blew me away when I read it, um, when it first came out. It is about a young Marine lieutenant who, you know, like, arrives at the front um, and is part of this company, and they're in the jungle, and then they have to, like, they get orders to, like, take this you know, hill or whatever, even though it strategically, like, actually doesn't make a lot of sense and is going to cost a ton of their, you know, lives, basically, um, and is impossible on the timeline that they've been given, but, like, this is what they're supposed to do. So they try to do it. And it really goes into how, 
young these soldiers were, even those in command. Like, they are just a bunch of teenagers um, who are now, you know, given guns and told where to point them and having to make these kinds of decisions and, you know, watch their decisions affect the lives of those in their company. It's really, it's really intense. Um, And the main character also at one point like goes back home and his girlfriend and he had this like falling out about the war and, you know, conscious objection or conscientious, excuse me, objection versus participating. And, and you, you just really see how, how complicated it was uh, for somebody who didn't have a lot of life experience and, like, was just doing what they felt was the thing that they were supposed to be doing. Um, it's long. I will tell you, it is long. It's a brick. But I didn't even notice. Like, I read the whole thing. And it has so many really specific details. Like, this was before MREs, so, like, the food that they're eating is bananas. Um, I mean, it's just really bonkers to think about that this is like, this is all real. This all really happened. Um, <laughs> Marlantis is a vet, so he has like, this is based on his own experiences. Um, took him a really, I think he wrote it over the course of like 30 years uh, because it was just that like hard for him to write, but also that important for him to write. So I definitely, definitely, definitely recommend it. So that's Matterhorn by Carl Marlantis. Okay, next one is probably me, right? Yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, Another Jennifer um, who says, I have been working on my pilot's license for the last couple years and I'm almost done. P.S. That's awesome. Uh, (laughs) Well done, ma'am. So cool. Um, So she says, I have read East to the Dawn and one one or two other biographies on Amelia Earhart. Do you have any other recommendations for books of female pilots or females that are doing things that are normally a male thing. It can be fiction or nonfiction. I just love a story that allows a female to chase her dreams. Awesome. I was so, oh man, you reminded me that I was obsessed with Amelia Earhart when I was a kid too. I completely forgot about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to keep talking. My first pick for you is Headstrong, 52 Women Who Changed Science by Rachel Swaby? Swaby? I don't know how to say her last name. I have just discovered. Um, Anyway, this is about... Like, so it kind of starts why, where, you know, in all those obits for brilliant women scientists, it's like, she was a loving mother and wife and made a mean stroganoff. And it's like, oh, and by the way, she won a Pulitzer for whatever. You're like, oh my gosh, way to bury the lead. Like, why is this a thing? Um, And so the goal of this collection is to, like, be like, no, really, like, these women are amazing. Here are 52 women who literally changed the way the world works through science. Um, So if you are looking, and this is like a great jumping off point too, right? Because some of these women, there's other things written about them. So you can like look up all kinds of stuff. Um, But yeah, it's just, I mean, it's really, it's, it's 52 ladies beating the odds to, you know, to make accomplishments in male dominated fields. So I think that you will dig it. Uh, So that's Headstrong by Rachel's, I'm going to go with Swaby. Probably wrong. (laughs) All right, uh, my first book is Rejected Princesses, Tales of History's Boldest Heroines, Hellions, and Heretics. Great subtitle. Uh, it's by Jason Porath. This is a great book. It's a co- kind of a coffee table book. Like, it's that sort of size. Um, and it's illustrated in, like, contemporary Pixar-looking sort of animation, which I really, really like. And this is a look. It's, a, like, a mix of um, humor and biography and f- fantasy and folklore a little bit. So he's pulling women from both actual history, but also from myths and uh, folklores from different cultures and from literature. And every profile is a look at a woman who's done something 
who we consider uh, or who maybe might have technically been a, a princess, but not in like a, you know, tiara, pink frilly dress kind of way, in like a historically accurate kind of way, which often meant like killing a lot of people or marrying someone for power or like making really shrewd political decisions, like being an actual princess was a lot more cutthroat than um, our contemporary pop culture would have us believe. So for example, there's a princess uh, from 5th century Denmark who spent her life as a pirate that he talks about a lot. Um, a preacher in the, a rebel female preacher in the 1600s of Boston. There's like a, um, there's one princess uh, I remember who was born in China. I don't know if she was actually like politically a princess, but she was a former prostitute who ended up commanding a, a like a naval fleet of over 70,000 men. Like these are just women from history who, you never hear talked about really, but who did, who spent their entire lives doing things that were usually reserved for men. So that's Rejected Princesses by Jason Porath. All right. My second pick, I was thinking about like, what's the modern equivalent of Amelia Earhart and like, obviously female astronauts. So mm. <laughs> I asked Swapna, who is our expert on all things NASA, and she recommended Sally Ride by Lynn Sher. Uh, it's a biography of um, the first American woman in space. What, what? And it's really, it's about how she, you know, sort of broke through that gender barrier. Um, uh, she also was an advisor uh, to NASA about you know, things that had gone wrong with Challenger and Columbia. Um, and this I didn't know. And, and now I like definitely really need to read the book, but apparently ride also, she, um, was in a relationship, a committed relationship with a woman for 27 years and no one knew she kept it very private, um, had formerly been married to a man. So it's also, you know, you find out a lot about like, you know, that side of her life, which is not really publicly known. Um, and the biographer had access to her diaries and her friends and her letters and did interviews and all that stuff. So it's considered like a definitive biography of Sally Ride. So definitely that will also be very inspiring and interesting. So that's Sally Ride, America's First Woman in Space by Lynn Sher. Okay, my second one is Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Iron Cameron and Shanna Knisnik. Never said that out loud, but there it is. Okay, obviously, this is a uh, biography of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is like having a pop culture moment. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. For like a year now. Yeah, but yeah. I super love it. Um, she is obviously a Supreme Court justice, um, which is also obviously a job that has been mostly almost entirely men, actually, I think until, you know, the, the past maybe 20 years. Um, and it's, it's still mostly just dudes and probably will be for the next four years anyway. Um, so her life is really fascinating and it's, it's a, um, she's kind of considered, well, not kind of considered, she is like a feminist pioneer. Her descents are really snarky and, um, and smart. Uh, and I hope she just is with us for, for a while. Um, and she continues to be, I think one of the reasons she's having such a moment is because she continues to be an outspoken, uh, a very outspoken feminist who is not, um, not shy is not the word that I'm looking for, um, but is not afraid to, to take that point of view and apply it to her decisions on the bench. So that's Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Iron Cameron and Shanna mm, Nisnik. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Is it my turn? It is. Yes. All right. This is our last question, and this is from Sarah. 
Sarah says, let's see, uh, something I noticed in last year's breakdown of my reading was that I wasn't reading a ton of books by people with physical disabilities. I have my own mental health stuff going on, so I seek out fiction by and about people with mental illnesses already. Uh, it's a hugely underrepresented population, or no, is it a hugely underrepresented population, or am I just not looking hard enough? In the interest of the own voices hashtag, I'd like to read more fiction by contemporary authors with disabilities. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, my first recommendation is a book that I'm in the middle of and loving so much. It's called Girl at War. It's by Sarah Novick. Novich? Novick. Mm. Uh, I'm good at whatever. I don't know. I, there's I don't an remember. Over the sea, I should know. Which is the only reason that I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Okay, so um, Sarah is deaf, and this is a, a novel kind of, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's autobiographical, but whatever. Um the main character's name, when the book opens, her name is Anna. She's 10. She lives in Zagreb, which is the capital of Croatia, in 1991. And she's, like, just kind of living her life. She's a tomboy. Um, her best friend is a boy named Luca. She has a little baby sister. Um, she gets along with her parents, whatever. Um, and then civil war breaks out in Yugoslavia, and, you know, her childhood is just, it just falls apart. Um, and I'm still in that section of the book where, like, her childhood is be is becoming less about, like, playing soccer and more about climbing sandbag barriers and trying not to get shot like that's where i am in this book and i know eventually she escapes to america and then the book follows her uh 10 years later she's a college student in new york um so the thing man i nothing i was a child when this conflict happened and i don't remember anything about it so i went into this book totally historically blind and really worried that i wasn't going to get the nuances of like the ethnic strife or um, like the the difference so the serb Croatian differences like I didn't know any of that but she makes it um, she doesn't talk down to the reader um but there's like slipped in subtle explanations of what's happening so that like an American reader who has no background in, in Yugoslavian history can kind of understand what's going on so it's a it's like heart-wrenching it's page-turning it's really really great um, so that's Girl at War by Sarah Novik okay I am excited that we got this question because there's this new anthology that just came out or is it out now? It is out now. Uh, it, yes, right. February. So, and I just can't wait to read it. I'm so excited to read it. Um, I haven't bought it yet because I'm moving, but as soon as I finish moving, yeah. I will own it. It will be in my hands. And it is called The Right Way to Be Crippled and Naked, The Fiction of Disability. Uh, it is edited by Annabelle Hayes, Sheila Black, and Michael Northen. Um, Sheila Black and Ma Michael Northen also worked on The Beauty is a Verb, which is a poetry anthology about disability. Uh, and it is a collection of works by people who are disabled um, and exploring all of these things. So they're like looking to, you know, crack open the stereotypes and show all of the different sides of disability in a way that it, I mean, it really is an underrepresented population for yes. sure. Um, it is much easier to find authors who identify as mentally disabled than it is to find books that are like published by you know, major publishers from authors who are physically disabled. So uh, I'm really excited for this collection to come out and to uh, give me some new authors to follow. Um, and point of interest, this is from Cinco Puntos Press, which does a lot of good stuff. So that is The Right Way to Be Crippled and Naked, The Fiction of Disability and Anthology. Okay, my second uh, pick for you is not so much a book, <clears throat> but an author. Cody Keplinger writes... Um, young adult novels, young adult fiction, and she is legally blind. 
And actually, she wrote, you, you've probably heard of it, she wrote The Duff, which was a, a movie last year or the year before, um, and it's about a 17-year-old girl named Bianca who is very smart and funny and loyal and, like, snarky and great, and she's a great character, um, and she runs up against, like, the school popular hot guy named Wesley who calls her a duff, which means designated ugly fat friend. Um, she throws her coke in his face, and then, because uh, she's not having any of that, which I just love, but then they end up having this, like, they develop this, like, weird enemy frenemy kind of situation thing and then she finds out more about him and why he acts the way he does and it's you know i'm sure you can figure out where that's going um anyway when that book came out and even when that movie came out i don't think that cody had had really talked much about being blind but then she wrote another book very uh, more recently called run which has a blind man character and that's when she started talking about her own disability on her blog um so if you're interested in her personal experience with blindness you can go onto her blog um and read about that. There are a lot of posts about that. But so any, she's written several books. Run, I think, is the most recent. It came out in, last year in 2016. Uh, but The Duff is, is the most well-known. So that's uh, The Duff or Run, either one, by Cody Keplinger. All right. My second pick for you is by Corinne Divis, who is autistic. And, like, excuse my ignorance, I'm not sure where that falls on the disability spectrum. Like, it has both mental and can have physical uh, manifestation, so I don't know. Um, but I, I, thought, I think this book is great, so you should read it. Uh, it's Otherbound. Um, it is a fantasy. It's a portal fantasy. I think that's... I. It's hard to categorize. There's a <laughs> lot going on in this book. I will try to sum up. Um, it starts <laughs> with... Sum up. I will try. I'm, I'm going to attempt. It's going to be rough. Um, the, one of the main characters is a boy named Nolan who appears to the world like he's having seizures, but what's actually happening is that every time he closes his eyes, like every time he blinks, basically, he's sucked into this world of our other main character, whose name is Amara, who lives in a world with magic, and who is sort of She's the sort of bodyguard slash servant to a princess on the run. She also is, she has healing abilities and um, the mage who's in charge of their, of this princess who's on the run is a terrible abusive human. And so she's also sort of his punching bag. So her life is terrible. Um, And so Nolan's life is really complicated because he's trying to be like a normal kid, teenager, but he just can't because you can't focus if you're constantly in somebody else's head. Um, And so, and then... He's on all these medications, which of course aren't working because magic. And and then he there's this like trick of medication where suddenly he is able to start communicating with her, um, and everything goes crazy. I like can't even. I don't even know how like what plot points are spoilery to say and what are just so bonkers that like it doesn't make sense unless you've read that book. Um, but a lot is it's a really intense book. There's a lot going on. If you like fantasy novels uh, and YA in particular, like you're definitely going to want to pick this up. So that's Other Bound by Corinne Divis. That's our show. Hey, hey, record time. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously, we're like ten minutes. Well, we were down one sponsor. Oh, so. true, true. Um, okay, so thank you guys for listening. If you uh, would like to talk to us on social media, you can find us. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. Do leave a, a review or rate us on iTunes. It helps make uh, the show easier to find for other people. And thank you so much to our sponsor, Rough and Tumble. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.